At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, I'm Matt Lee. And I'm Vince Mancini. And this is Pod Pod Yourself the Wire. A The Wire podcast where Vince Mancini and I go through every single episode of The Wire and and talk talk about about it. it. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, This is a reminder, and at this point, by the time this episode comes out, you will have 48 hours left to buy your tickets to see Pod Yourself a Gun. That's so few hours. I know, it's, but it's just enough time to buy your tickets to see Pod Yourself a Gun live. Three days? No, it's only two days. Two days is just uh, every 48 hours is two days. You will have about two days left to buy your tickets to see uh, Pod Yourself a Gun live at SF Sketch Fest, January 28th at 10 p.m. Buy your tickets at sfsketchfest.com or just Google Pod Yourself a Gun SF Sketch Fest um, and you'll see the, you know, probably the first result will be the ticket links. Uh, we want you to come. It's going to be really fun. If you're in San Please Francisco, come. Or if you're Ooh. just like, you know, in I want California. you to come too. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> we all want you to come really hard. That's all we want. Just come hard. We want thick ropes of uh, listeners to come in yes. the door, come streaming in the doors. Exactly. We want you to be wet and salty when you yeah. come in. We want, and you, I want to you to rope leave into pregnant. the theater and just hit the back walls of the mm-hmm. room and uh, splatter there and uh i don't know Help i'm out us make you squirt yep so sfsketchfest.com google pod yourself a gun sf sketch fest you will see a ticket link and show up it's going to be a lot of fun we're going to have a good time yeah okay um five stars in review and please listen to this on the pod yourself a gun feed all right today Vince Mancini and I are going to be talking about from season two of The Wire, episode three, Hot Shots. And uh, our guest today, he is a fantastic, like, not just a fantastic podcaster, but a fantastic person. This is a, uh, is, is there a word, empresario? Am I making that word up? 
What's the I word I'm thinking? I, w- I was kind of forced into starting a podcast network. Oh, we all were. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like it, it just all came upon us. When life hands you lemon, uh, lemons, uh, podcast about it and see if <laughs> yeah, people join make, Patreon. You make a fucking podcast Pod yourself some lemons. Out of it. <laughs> Buy yeah. yourself the lemonade. Our but guest I, today. I was early into the whole being forced into starting a podcast movement. Yeah, so, so that helped. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got that in voice very you're early. hearing is from the Unpops Podcast Network. The main G, Adam Todd Brown, is here. Hey, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks for coming on, uh, Top G. Hey, uh, I love you both, but what, uh-huh. Matt, what? you're so great. Oh, you're good. Thank you, dog. You're so you're like I like you're both very good. I have to get Vince on. You Some do. podcast, but I've had Matt on a bunch. And yeah. You're both so good. You're so good. Well, I liked it when you were just saying me, though. Yeah, it makes no, more Vince meaningful really, when you don't Vince, include me. Yeah, yeah, no, Vince is like Fine. free me doing podcasts good. Like, yeah. before he, this, I just was like writing for a living, and that's what Vince does, and he's... Yeah, that's right. He's so good at that. I mean, loosely, yeah. we call it right. But, you know, whatever. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's It is what yeah, it is. Yeah, like, Vince is arguably better. No, he but is. But I just know Vince, you more. Right. No, Vince is- It's conflicting Vince, for me, too. Vince is a real person, is a thing. Like, a lot of people, <laughs> like, have to remember that, like, for Vince, this is, like, this is- a fun thing he does but at yeah. the end of the day he is a very talented writer and that i really he... have to only hang out with people that just podcast to be considered a real person because i feel like in any other segment of the society right like That's oh true. you are the opposite right, of a real right. person yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> to anybody else you are not leading a real <laughs> life you are uh, like a little boy i'm yeah um, i'm one of those people when you ask me what i do for a living there's that pause where i'm like what the fuck do i say Right, this How do I time age? Yeah, that leads to the least follow up questions and also, like, is you know, the least embarrassing. You're both no, really but... good at what you do. Oh, thank you. But no, Vince, you know, not to uh, brag, but yeah, you're both very good. Yeah, no, I, I'll accept it. You uh, don't need to flatter us in order to get invited back, but it does. No, help. no, you, <laughs> you, you will get invited back even if you hate us because at the end of the day. We don't know that many people. We and like we to be kinda... nagged as well, too. It's like, yes. you know. By the way, Vince, um, yeah. side note, uh, you know, I go on the uh, the Discord uh, oh. sometimes and check in and see how the, the piggies are doing mm. and, you know. Thank you for that. Uh, and one thing that they keep saying is, um, when the fuck are you going to write a, a book? Mm. Um and that they, one of them asked if we just uh, give him money for presale, like already buy an unwritten book, will he do it? And yeah. uh, I, I was I'm reading something about you. someone was talking about how people used to do uh, journalism, like as a way to support themselves while writing a book, and it's like now True. that's like. Uh, trying to play in the NBA while supporting, uh, you know, your crack dealing habit. It's like two. You're just adding another really hard thing that's like almost yeah. impossible, like to it. Um, I would love. I, I, I keep telling myself like I'm gonna take X hours a week uh, mm-hmm. to write, not for my job. But then I'm, but then I get caught up trying to uh, make sure that I don't get fired from the thing that makes me. you the money that yeah. that feeds your baby. Yeah, yeah exactly. it, ta- it takes time. Yeah. Like. Writing a book is not 
I know, but I mean, Easy. Vince, just do it, dog. I, I'll read it. Listen, Vince, what are you, what my the, inner monologue? But I, <laughs> yeah. yeah, also at the same time, Vince, what's your problem? Dude, yeah. why are you such we a piece this of is, shit? This is only an hour and a half podcast, okay? That's true. I feel like that's enough time for you to write a book. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's very easy. Be but nice. okay, nice. let's talk about Adam Todd Brown for a second. Adam, do you like The Wire? The Wire is arguably my favorite television show Fuck yeah. of all time. Yeah. Who's okay. saying it isn't? Even if not my favorite, it's like top five. I nice. love The Wire yeah. so much. So what what uh, what are your thoughts on season two? You know, this is a very controversial season. A lot of people uh, throw shade at it. A lot of people skip it. A lot of people, this is where mm. they stop listening, wow. uh, or or a lot of people will stop watching. What what about you? What were your I, initial thoughts when you first? I think saw it? it's borderline racist <laughs> to be mad at season two of The Wire. Yeah, uh, thank because you, Snoop. all it's doing is introducing the idea that. White people also commit crimes. Mm -hmm. That's right. It's representation. Yeah. And it shouldn't have, like, <laughs> I feel like you shouldn't be mad that The Wire Season 2 isn't just drug dealers in the towers in Baltimore. Because yeah. Baltimore and crime are, like, representation matters. It does. Representation does matter. And, and the uh, person yeah. who wrote The Wire has intimate knowledge of how Baltimore works and, and what they're talking about in season two act absolutely happened. And yeah. it's as yeah. important to Baltimore's story as anything else. But that being said, when you watched it the first time, do you remember what your feelings were? Cause I, was I remember bummed a little bit. I was, yeah. I was a little bit bummed <laughs> that it wasn't just Right? Because that first season, like all of it is the Towers and mm -hmm. the Barksdale team. Mm -hmm. And it's such a hard pivot. I mean, yeah. it's like, like if you showed up to a party, like your your friend invites you to a birthday party and you expect to see all your friends there. Uh, mm. And then you show up and none of your friends are there yet. And it's just all these like new people. Maybe there's like a couple of your friends <laughs> yeah. left, friends milling around in there. But like mostly it's all these new people. And, you know, eventually like you realize like these new people are pretty cool too. And your friends are still going to show up anyway. But right. like that first 10 minutes or so that you're there, uh, it's jarring. You're like, where are my friends? You think about leaving. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and that's the thing. Like, People act like this episode is just the dock workers. Mm -hmm. and, oh, this season, yeah. And, yeah, this season. And, like, the episode we're talking about today mm -hmm. or on, the, like, this week. I don't know. Is this a daily podcast? It's a weekly. It would be crazy if it was daily. <laughs> you should start doing it five days a week. Yeah, yeah just yeah. write a song every day. We go through eight fucking seasons of a show in a year. <laughs> But, like, this episode is where Omar sees those two girls trying to, like, mm -hmm. case out and rob that other spot. Right, right. And that's such a compelling storyline that people. Yeah, the inner city epidemic of like homosexual uh, drug gangs. Stick up boys. Yeah. 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 And people act like that storyline doesn't exist in season that's two. That's true. They and do, it does. Yeah. And it's. You know, I was going to save compelling. this to, until. Uh, 
until Matt asked me like, what did I think of the episode? But, uh, that was going to be one of my points. It's like the first season you wait, I think three or maybe four episodes before there's an actual wire. And, mm-hmm. uh, in season two, like this is the episode where we realize they are getting the band back together. Like the thing that the wire does that's different than any other show is that any other show getting the band back together would be the very first thing you do in a second season of a television right. show. Just right. to remind right. people like, Hey, your friends are still here. We're doing the thing. But, uh, the wire just drops you completely into the storyline of completely new people and now two episodes in you're like oh yeah we are gonna we are gonna get the band back together all these people are gonna come back and uh and 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 omar's return in this uh episode for the season is great uh because you 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 know everyone at this point has been waiting like two episodes have gone by no omar and you're like what the fuck why Mm -hmm. are they doing this and i think that's a big reason people were mad um but then when he does come back it's wonderful and i have a clip of that i heard them project niggas lit him up Uh, i heard they ran his ass up out of this town spread the word dog omar back omar is back thank you (laughs) uh yeah, so it it is nice to see him back. You're really at your best when you can replace one word of a song with a wire word, and <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, there you go. That's right. Um, o- Omar is one of the best TV characters of all time. I think of all time. I will yeah. say, you know, this is gonna people are gonna hate me saying this, but I feel like Uh-oh. the more times that I watch The Wire, the uh, the more forced Omar speak. Uh, sounds like it's very sure it's very much like any sort of thing where like the gimmick is what makes you remember it and what makes you love it at first but mm-hmm. uh it you know it ends up feeling like constraining the more uh yeah. the longer okay, so the more times you the see omar it omar thing is going to be yeah. dream sequences for you with sopranos I, it's going it to be like bug me that much but uh it does it feels no no it feels a little uh, more forced than it did uh, what the i mean first is that I like it, like sure. the first time you watch it or even like you know at this point it's been uh two decades of being like fuck this is such a great character and it, it, is. it becomes overwhelming and then eventually you're like oh he's very uh there's uh, the idiosyncrasies are like part of the fun it's sure. almost gimmicky but yeah you have to remember it's awesome right it's it's just you can when you watch this season you can feel like oh they knew that this was the thing that the fans loved a little bit yeah. not that you know not, the, not that it was unfair for fans to love it i loved it too i'm a piggy just like you <laughs> Like just the idea of a gay black man on television was yeah, yeah. pretty fucking shocking. Yeah, right. And this was a gay black man who you were scared of for reasons that didn't involve him being gay. Right. Like this was like a threatening gay black man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it just had never been done on television, he was such a compelling character where it was like, all right, you're scared of him, but not because you're a fucking homophobe. Yeah. No, yeah. And you exactly. can feel like I can feel other shows trying to to coast on Omar a little bit. Like remember that season of mm-hmm. Fargo that had Bokeem Woodbine yeah. and he like only speaks like in haikus. 
It was like, yeah. okay, you guys are trying real hard to force like an Omar thing on this yeah, guy. It, it was like, it, it felt like they were doing Massive Genius again. Yes. Uh, Massive G from <laughs> yeah. The Sopranos. Yeah. Who was played by Bokeem Woodbine. That's why, you know. One of the great, I think, or one of the things that separates The Wire from other shows is that his identity as a gay man is present, but it is not... Um, it is not the entirety of his character. And like you said, you're not scared of him because he is is gay. He's not, you know, being he's not he's not jacking people gaily. You know what I mean? Like he's <laughs> yeah. not he doesn't shoot his shotgun like in a homosexual way or something. It's like people aren't afraid that they're gonna get shot and turn gay. It's like it's identities are using the show not He's like as... a gay vamp a gay hood vampire <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so like uh, the way like identity is used in the show is not meant to um it's not meant to kind of like make anyone a monolith you know it's it's just meant to be that extra bit of detail that that makes things feel real i think it's such a like no other show do you actually find out how a port works uh, and yeah. like customs yes. and bills of lading. Like the wire is so granular in those sort of details that I think it uses, uh, you know, making Omar gay and, and like having like that's sort of uh, that's like the icing, uh, mm -hmm. you know, it's just like something to distract from like the very utilitarian sort of nature of a lot of the plot lines. Like they're, yeah, like the real, you know, it would be very dry because they get very specific, which is why I think the wire is great. But I can see why they, you know, they added some fun stuff in there just in case they were worried that you're getting bored. Right. But this is not a show about Omar. I mean, it sort of is. It's it sort of the is. Wire season two. No, this is a show about the wire. And we, of course, cannot start the podcast without first playing. The theme song. Do it. When you pod the garden, you get a pod. Well, I beg your pod. Walk the street podcast. Trend. If you pod with Jesus, he's gonna save the docks. You gotta keep it Polish. Pod. Down in the hole. Season two. All right, mm. everyone. Today, ladies and gentlemen, everyone else, we are going to be talking about, like I said, season two of The Wire, episode three, Hot Shots. And this episode premiered June 15th, 2003. Vince, can you break us off a little piece of that synopsis? I sure can. Jimmy McNulty wants to use his detective skills to identify the dead girl, making this the first time he's ever felt guilty about not knowing the name of a lady he's seen naked. Hey! Hey! hey. How about that? Mm. Good joke, me. Okay, uh, and <laughs> what was happening at the time that this episode came out, Vince? That's right, Matt. I think uh, what you're trying to say is that we cannot evaluate art uh, divorced from the cultural context in which it was produced and so therefore we like to put some of that context back in with a little thing we like to call the back in the day machine yeah it's a bad time for newspapers the news hole is shrinking as 
Advertising dollars continue to decline. There ain't no back in the day. Machine tells the tale, son. Mm. That's right. Uh, we're going all the way back to June 15th, 2003. Uh, just trying to break you off a little slice of what it was like to be alive in 2003, uh, in case you weren't there. Um, got some stories that uh, some of them are related to the episode this one eh, this one's more just sort of a fun one-off uh in depth the sun sets on tradition god save the queen but not lord chancellor for centuries the august Mm -hmm. office of lord high chancellor of great britain carried political power judicial might and a shoulder-length horsehair wig hell yeah dude (laughs) yeah they love the horsehair wigs over there don't they folks yeah lord high chancellor Mm -hmm. all they get all those words they well they did up until this week but with the government shuffle last week prime minister tony blair announced he was abolishing the colorful and ancient post at the top of britain's judiciary replacing the lord chancellor with the more prosaic department for constitutional affairs boring only british guy named tony um yeah (laughs) that's true (laughs) some other this one is a little more related uh to this episode this one's actually weirdly uh very related to this week's episode okay headline the camera phone quietly wins fans Real estate agent Michelle Portlock, stylishly dressed in a slate blue duster, is doing a slow twirl as she surveys the living room of a small back bay condominium. She stops suddenly and lifts her silver cell phone to eye level. I want to get this fireplace, she said, just before her cell phone emits a digital click. A few minutes later, takes literally the worst (laughs) picture of anything ever with it. It's Uh, like, oh, look at these pixels. Is that a... Is that a guy waving? No, it's a fireplace. Oh, yeah, I see it now. Yeah. Trend-conscious youth are the primary focus for this fun technology currently being marketed by a number of wireless service providers. But many of these services are discovering a surprising new segment they hadn't anticipated. Business people and professionals who are taking advantage of the phone's ability to take digital snapshots and quickly share them with colleagues and customers. Ooh, this sounds like some, what is that, season five level shit. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think this whole camera phone thing's going to take off. I don't think so either, dude. I mean, who wants to buy a, a phone that's as big as a camera? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Portlock, who has owned Wait, her... where you get the film. <laughs> Portlock, who has owned her Sprint Sanyo 8100 picture phone for about a month, has clearly been won over by the new device's functionality. Mm. Mm-hmm. Well, mm. I, I'll tell you, you know, Poot has two of them. Yeah, and I believe that uh, that's market saturation. Yeah, well, you want we should we should sell those stocks. You want to hear about market satura- saturation? Newton contractor Bob Pino said his four picture phones are more about convenience than speed. Uh, for the last month, Wait, Pino forty two. Why has does been... he have four? That's not convenient <laughs> at all. <laughs> yeah. What? What is? All right, go on. Yeah. Uh, for the past month, Pino, 42, has been using them to stay in touch with his crews, working in three locations in Newton and Winthrop. If the guys can send me a picture of a problem and save me a trip to Winthrop, that's worth a lot, Pino said. 
Oh, oh, he gives them to his workers. I, I and then guess they, so, yeah. That, yeah, I didn't think... <laughs> I imagine, like, one of those, like, you know, phone belts, but he's got four different phones, and it's just like, <laughs> one takes good pictures, one takes medium pictures, one's for my dick, and the <laughs> yeah. other one is just for, you know, sometimes I just want to, like, take a picture of a guy <laughs> without his knowledge. Because the... F- quality of the picture phone image is dramatically lower than even the most basic digital cameras. Wireless (laughs) services have been marketing the device for fun uses, like spontaneous wish-you-were-here shots from the beach, ballpark, or vacation destinations. Yeah. Yeah. Glad none of that ever came to be. Mm, Yeah. No. Um, um, Happily, um, you know, phones and our cameras was just a fad. Uh, Went away real quick. Went the way of rap music. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> elsewhere, yeah. you know, it's 2003. We got uh, we got presidential candidates lining up to take down George W. Bush. You know, he had this unpopular, yeah. already Very unpopular popular, Iraq war. Easy target. Mm-hmm. Should be a cinch. Yeah. Uh, Hope you got a likable person in there. Yep. Well, good thing we uh, we do have one. John F. Ca- John F. Kerry, candidate in the <laughs> making. Headline: A privilege. <laughs> <Gary. laughs> yeah, I forgot his middle initials. The other JFK. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the other, the shitty JFK. Here's the thing: I actually don't hate John Kerry, but uh, it, at the time, I was like, you know, um, this guy sucks and will lose. And I, mean, uh, I would have preferred that he won. Oh, 100 percent. Right. Yeah. I would have loved if he won. And you yeah. know, as the Secretary of State uh, for Obama, he was actually pretty good he did the iran deal but, yeah he was uh, one of those guys that you just wish had like a more likable face like a little bit more human mm-hmm. attributes yeah. to his robot yeah. body okay so let's yeah. read a little bit of this john Kerry profile in the boston globe it's a big profile because his head is huge. yeah oh yeah you shit all over yourself gotcha what's the guy from dawson's creek uh, James Vanderbeek. Yeah, what is oh this my. guy? James Vanderbeek. He's got a. They them He's, two could have a huge face contest. They should yeah. be in the next face off. Uh, here's the profile. John Forbes Carey swerved his two seat plane across San Francisco Bay, heading straight toward the Golden Gate. Let's fly under the bridge, Carey shouted to his sole passenger and close friend David Thorne. Thorne tried not to panic as the tiny craft buzzed low across the swells. Most of the students who had graduated from Yale with Carey the previous year knew him as the ultimate Brahmin, the studious and serious class orator who longed to run for president someday. But Thorne and other members of the university's elite Skull and Bones Society knew another side of Carey. He was a young man drawn to danger. During his senior year, he majored in flying, as Carey put it, learning aerobatics and performing loop-de-loops instead of focusing on his studies. These people like just need to it's like they need to be guillotined and i don't know how to say that (laughs) without getting in trouble like this is a type of there's the oligarchs are the worst i this was i mean this is a throwback to the days when we had to decide which asshole wasp uh what we liked but which flavor of asshole wasp we preferred um i hate all the flavors yeah (laughs) yeah uh, I'm with Matt, though. We should... No, we should just, not elect anybody else who has been a member of Skull and Bones. Uh, at, yeah. yeah, if you've been a member yeah. of Skull and Bones and you're like, you're, you're, you're like big 
joke at the cocktail parties is I majored in flying because I spent most of my time in the sky. <laughs> you know, you know how that's normal thing. You know how everyone do that. It's like Jesus Christ, I hate you. Go ahead. Uh, the plane jerked and veered out on the wing. The feet of an unfortunate seagull stuck out like a scene from a cartoon. Seconds later, the scene flipped from Looney Tunes to Alfred Hitchcock as more birds appeared in front of them. Suck one into an engine and a young pilot's life could conclude right there. Good, do please. We were worried yeah, the wing Jacobin would... seagulls. <laughs> it's weird how unfortunate seagull is my band name. Completely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's weird. That's strange. Yeah. Uh, Carrie, the son of a World War II test pilot, pulled up on the nose of his small plane, ascending beyond the dangerous flock of birds. We were worried the wing would come off, Thorin recalled. Instead, Carrie steered the aircraft away from the bridge and toward a nearby airfield, leaving behind whatever stunts were lurking inside his 23-year-old brain. God is dead. Because if there was a god, he'd be like, well, who's going to know? And then put a seagull in there. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) Like... Like that's how this is that literally like seagulls in engine is probably like number three cause of death of rich people who yes. are in skull and bones. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, just that's like, like you know how right, rich people they like can they can get like younger dudes to be their blood bag and uh, and replace mm-hmm. all their bl- blood and then you know yeah. live live like forty years after seven heart attacks like whatever Dick yes. Cheney has done. The uh, the only like counterbalance to that is uh, is like private private aviation that's the only right. thing that brings down <laughs> the rich people's uh, life expectancy back into yes. normal levels yeah that's the thing that like equalizes it so like they all like die at 80 uh, 85 as well but th- most of them live to be 300 but just an- enough of them die in horrible small plane accidents <laughs> that <laughs> oh god man yeah uh, do you want some more of that? Uh, but Carrie did not yes. fully belong to this elite world either. I'm skipping. Uh, his father's government salary, combined with his own struggles with money, left him planted further on the outskirts of New England's ruling class than many realized. The boy who was educated at <sighs> patrician prep schools grew into a gentleman without significant means, part of I'm a sorry. landless aristocracy that one might find in a Jane Austen novel. I hate this so much. <laughs> I hate this so much because this is just their version of sword nobility where they're just mm-hmm. like, well, okay, there was there was nobility that, you know, had money, but then there was a lot of nobility that was like they were cash poor, but they had basically society was their teat and they sucked on it and they were able to survive even with like like he wasn't poor like he may have not had cash but the fool's flying in planes using skull and bones fuck you i hate you (laughs) also this is we're talking we're still talking about the wire right yeah 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 Yeah, eventually yeah yeah we'll get there look i was (laughs) just catching you up on the kennedys go on i was just catching you up on john f Kerry. but i think listen Listen, oh, yeah, the I think you're caught up. Sorry. People got to know what the other side was doing at the time. These are the people who are screwing over the docks. You know, these True. are the yeah. neoliberals who are, you know, deciding like, hey, why do we manufacture stuff? It's so much cheaper to move all those jobs away. This is the guy that's going to buy a unit in the granary condos and explain exactly. that uh, before he married his Heinz heiress wife, he his family actually didn't have that much money. And he always, always wanted yeah. to have. He was the poorest in, person in skull and bones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the Wire is basically about how. 
the uh, the union class, that your your cops, your port workers, all these all these groups um, that uh, a lot of us are descended from are disappearing from the major cities, and increasingly, you know, it's like a playground for rich people uh, meets. Um, some projects where the actual uh, urban poor live. So, you know, yeah, pretty, that's the, that's like the basic rundown of the wire. It's like, yeah. Hey, yeah. this is what happened to, this is the, this is the last, the last holdouts of the unionized middle class in big cities. A hundred percent. Yeah. If you, if you, uh, what's I think very interesting about the wire in general, at least in this season is uh, watching kind of, these uh, the the white working class in baltimore being put in a similar situation to black working class communities like 30 years previous and so right. you're you're seeing kind of like them drawn into the same um you know conundrums uh you know there's money and crime um but having yeah, it's the same the, they're just on the other side of the red line basically right exactly and and that red line matters because there's uh, the the racialization of certain types of crimes is one of the big uh reasons why nikki sabatka is like in this episode like no i'm not gonna sell drugs but you know he's too good to sell drugs but he'll steal a can of cameras and sell it to a guy named double g like this <laughs> dude is uh He's but he's just, making he's making a rational decision for his uh you know for his for, position which is like yes right. it would be more dangerous to sell drugs on of a street course. corner like White Mike than it would be to sell some cameras that fell off a boat right of course that does not actually end up being the case it is in fact very dangerous to deal with <laughs> uh the Greek and his associates but before we get into that. Um, let's, uh, real quick, just do the Balmer B stories and that'll tell us what happened in this episode. Oh boy. Um, yeah. Uh, I don't know if you guys noticed, but this was like one of the first times in the wire where they had a song from the time that the actual episode came out that was playing in the background. No, um, that's it, nice. it, it was, uh, that Sean Paul song. So, um, enjoy. Shake that thing, prison guard, tell me take that thing. Nicky's a fucker, take that string. While D's in prison, digmatized on a top. The wire 203, Valchek's crime muted as hunks, losers, and drugs. Plus his son in law, Presbaluski. Now Bunk interrogates foreigners who don't speak English. Calls up like a Kunta kid that poor Nicky. Doesn't want to sell drugs, yet he steals some cameras. Gonna make a thousand bucks and then make melty. Tells Bunk and Freeman and BD Russell about his little theory. Your sexy ladies on the can with us they are sex workers from the eastern block and the crew that's on the deck with them wants to get next to them pay for sex with them but one of the girls want to quit the game and the boys became enraged with shame kill that girl then throw her off but the sex workers they saw it all the sex workers were witnesses the crew hammers their air hole off smash that hole on the can i kind of say that thing all right well anyways so that very is nice, very I'm gonna, nice i'm gonna be honest i feel like that wasn't actually from the show no i mean that was a version of what was on the show uh but uh no you know the listen it was close it was close it was, it's I've, pretty I've much watched the same this show several times and i remember the song from this moment but it sounded different similar. here's the thing it was different but I, the same I, thought about doing the accent i really did and then i was like we live in a different time why not i can't i'm not, <laughs> not? i'm not gonna i'm just not gonna hey, do work for snow 
it did work for snow, but that was a much different time, mm-hmm. you know? Also, he, did. he was fall. good at talking really fast. He was. Anyways, you can hear the rest of and that song. And he was black. Was snow black? Snow wasn't no, black. He was, he was not. <laughs> oh. yeah, he wasn't. His name was snow. snow. Wasn't I don't sort yeah. of black. Yeah, that was his whole thing. That was a tell. Um, yeah. Okay, so. No, his let's... name was snow because he's from Canada. There was oh. a snow there. Hey. hey. All right. Okay. So uh, let's get into this episode finally um, and uh, talk about it. Um, so just a real quick outline of what happens. This episode is called Hot Shots um, and it's filled with them. Uh, it's literal meaning, the figurative meaning and the sarcastic meaning. First, we have Omar and his crew of uh, hot shot stick up boys. Then we have a pair of uh, sarcastically hot shots in uh, Nikki and Ziggy who are uh, stealing a bunch of stuff. Two idiot Polish kids deciding to make some money on the sides. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We have Valchek's detail full of hot shots. Again, sarcastically, these guys are a bunch of humps. Um, and then, of course, Jimmy, the hot shot of the show, who is uh, yeah. figuring out what a happened hot to the girls. in his own mind. Sure. And, of course, he's not as much of a hot shot as Bunkin Freeman, who Slight figure out the whole thing first. Digression here. As long as we're talking about hot shots, I feel like yes. if you redid the movie Hot Shots and you put uh, the Valchek actor in oh, the yeah. uh, the Kirk... Al Brown. In the uh, Kirk Douglas. What, who was that? Was it Kirk Douglas? No, it no, was... No, Val Kilmer. No, no. The older guy who... Uh, the older crazy general, Admiral Benson. Uh, Lloyd Bridges. Sorry, I knew it was one of those like oh, pa- oh. patriarchs of oh, a right. Hollywood yeah, family. Yeah, Charlie Sheen, not Val Kilmer. Yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, yeah, no. If you put uh, Valchek in the Lloyd Bridges role, I think that would have been excellent. We're going to have yeah. to watch... We're going to have to watch Fartcopter starring... Uh, starring Al Brown, who, Al by Brown, the way, yeah. just passed away. R.I.P. to a real one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I just want to say, Al Brown, we would have loved to have you on the podcast. Maybe we can get your spirit. I mean, we're talking about how the show is about, uh, you know, the disappearance of a certain a certain type of mid 20th century prosperity like this. This And Al Brown, I feel like that is kind of the end of an era like that guy's. Yeah, that guy's face really uh, expresses like the 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 urban ethnic white like he yes he he is that yes absolutely it's one of the things that i love about season two of the wire which is the name of this segment there's a lot of things that i love about season two of the wire a lot of things representation matters yeah. Repres- representation does matter. And it is uh, one of the things about this episode in particular uh, that I like. I think a, a lesser show would present all these like dock workers and, uh, you know, and their criminal handlers as just white people. You know, they would just be whites. Um, but instead, the show kind of presents them in all their like detail, like Polish, Greek, Irish. There's an Israeli guy that shows up. They even like make it a point, the Ukrainian guy in the previous episode points out that he is not russian that he is ukrainian and uh and that frank isn't just a white guy he's like a polish american baltimorean dude and like you know that is an important detail to the show it's one of the things i like yeah it's funny brian abrams just wrote this uh piece in the lowbrow reader about the guy who played the construction worker in city slickers where he's Mm -hmm. uh where he's kind of freaking out Billy Crystal with his, you know, his spiel about this lady who almost gets crushed by a crane. It's a really funny scene. But um, but basically, yeah, that was like a type 
in movies uh throughout right. between like the 80s to 2000s there was like the the ethnic white like the the unionized labor guy who uh like that that role disappeared along along with like that type of person like that doesn't really you don't really see that you don't see a, it represented it's like there's the we've kind of like We've kind of made everyone into a monolith in an attempt to in an attempt to broaden, I think, uh, people's. Well, probably like, it doesn't exist just because of the tides true. of history. Like that's not like that's well, that's like my grandparents. But I don't it's I don't of, think it doesn't exist because of history. Like those people still exist. It's just. But the no, manufacturing but it, it, sector it's, it's, that produced that entire class of people basically moved to other parts of the world, which yeah. is basically the story of the show. Like the 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 mm-hmm. the, the ships that w- used to show up and support this entire class of people, right, uh, are slowing to a trickle, and therefore there's not that many people for them to support like they once did. Yeah, it was like, it's a thing we definitely heard about during COVID. Like, especially Mm -hmm. I live right near the port of Los Angeles, which isn't even in Los Angeles. Right. (laughs) As I have come to find out, (laughs) like those are the people that are represented in this season of, the wire. Right. Yeah. The, and the it, dock workers. Yeah. Like it's all dock workers and it's like, I don't, is this supposed to make them look good? Cause it just makes me feel like, well, <laughs> no. they're also criminals probably. Well, and I think it's, that's why right. my Amazon packages aren't getting to me, but it's yeah. like they're, it's when shows, I need them to, because <laughs> these fucking hoodlums, it's showing them turning to crime because of the, the, their union power has, has greatly diminished like they don't yeah yeah and their political power is diminished and and you know along with obviously Probably the union power they, goes, ste- they they keep stealing all my amazon packages. yeah that's well, yeah that's probably I, it. I, you know uh, yeah yeah it starts there <laughs> 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 definitely they they do crime and that's then they most lost their of power. what the wire is about yeah the the stolen as amazon we all know, packages postseason two yeah <laughs> The pattern is um, bad people do crime because they're born bad and then they get punished by society by losing their unions. Um, no, but like what what <laughs> what I think is is interesting about it is that like you don't see um, I, I think in some sense you're right, Vince, that like more and more we're not seeing the kind of like ethnic whites, uh, you know, represented because culturally um, there's been kind of like this. I don't know, uh, movement to kind of, or in general, people just grow up and they go, I'm white and, you know, and maybe they, they add the Irish and it's like, just like, I don't know. I'm, uh, I think it's more I, than I, representation though. It's a material, it's a material thing. Like this, right. these people all came from, you know, like, the, like you're not really an ethnic white without this sort of working class blue collar. 100%. Like you, you lose that because you, you become like my generation. Like we, become educated and we go more towards like white collar jobs, which are like the jobs, the only jobs that we really have anymore. Like we don't, you don't stay part of your ethnic enclave uh, and, and, you know, move into the pipeline of good union jobs like they once did, which was sort of what was underpinning that entire class of people. 
Right. And and like the immigration obviously I think is is a big part of it too in terms of like uh what jobs people are getting and where they're getting, you know, what, what areas they're getting them in. And so, you know, you've got these second generation Polish immigrants, uh, third generation, um, in Baltimore and they had their little fiefdoms. They have their little power structures. They, they, they're not power structures that we, uh, in the like broader, you know, the, like me in California, I don't know shit about like the Polish immigrant right. experience. The point is the fiefdom Baltimore. is smaller now. Like they're right. fight, they're all fighting for scraps. And like the people who continued, you know, like, hey, I worked on the docks because my father worked on the docks because he before he worked, him worked on the docks. And then there's the people like Andy Krawchick, uh, who we saw in the previous episode, who's the developer and uh, and Valchik, who are like, you know, like. Uh, Krawczyk moved on. He's like, yeah. no, you know, I'm. Uh, he's he's going to use whatever uh, small Polish connections happen through the church or whatever, through like politics, in order to get his granary fucking hotel or, or apartment complex built. You know, he's going to get his condos, and uh, it's it's interesting because I think that kind of contributes almost to the kind of like. Uh, the watering down of uh, all of these like ethnic white communities because they just it's like well wait how do we how do we just become white people you know what <laughs> right, I mean yeah. how do we how do we drop the individual so that like that shit just becomes window dressing like that shit isn't important um, but yeah oh hey what's up Brent hey I, hey, I was oh. I was wonder I heard you guys talking about I think I heard you say like hey how can I become more white mm -hmm. yes. Yeah, and I think by buying the stuff that you hear in the ads that we're about to play, that's how you oh, become more Oh, shit. Wild. Yeah. I think that is a good point. So if you want to be if under that's what the tent. If, if it's what you want, the tent of whiteness, the protection of <laughs> white power and white systems of white supremacy, please buy, buy these products. Oh, God. Oh, we're going to lose the sponsors. Um, yeah. Anyways, products and services, uh, please enjoy. And uh, we'll be right back. Hey, everyone. Matt Lieb here with an annoying mid-roll ad that I'm going to be playing until March 17th. Why March 17th, you ask? Well, <laughs> because I'm going to be co-headlining the Sacramento Punchline on Sunday, March 17th at 7 p.m. with my wife, Francesca Fiorentini. I would love it if you all bought your tickets to it. It's going to be really fun. Um, you helped us sell out uh, when we co-headlined the San Francisco Punchline, and now I'm asking for you to... Do it again. That's right. If you're in the Sacramento area or somewhere nearby, um, come to the Sacramento Punchline Sunday, March 17th, 7 p.m. It's going to be so much fun. I'm going to be there. Francesca's going to be there. Uh, someone else is going to open for us. I don't know who, but someone probably pretty funny. You're going to have a great time, and you can get your tickets right now by either clicking the link uh, that's in the show notes or going to punchlinesack.com and uh, buying your tickets. Do it. And if you can't go, hey, maybe you have friends who are in the area and you you know, you know can tell them like, hey, you like comedy. Come see this guy who does a podcast and his wife who also does a podcast. It'll be great. So yes, please come. Sacramento Punchline, March 17th. That's a Sunday at 7 p.m. Come, enjoy, laugh, love. All right. 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. And we are back. All right. So, Vince, get into this episode. Tell me, did you like it? I like this episode. Like I said, this is, uh, in any other show, like this would be the first episode of this season. You know, you're dropping Mm -hmm. straight into some Omar business. Uh, We're going back to some Avon business. Uh, But because it's The Wire... They they baptized us by fire. They threw it straight into this whole new gang at the docks. And uh, this is this is like the episode where I feel like a lot of us were taken aback by how season two uh, started. We're like, oh shit, where's all of my mm-hmm. friends? Uh, and then in this episode, this episode, it's telling you, it's like, hey, like it's it's very clearly broadcasting. We're getting the band back together. There's going to be another yeah. detail. Daniels is coming out of the uh, the evidence room, and uh, yeah, some good shit's about to happen. It's a great episode. Yeah, some movement is happening. I will say that Nikki and Ziggy, I think, are two rare examples where um, characters maybe were slightly miscast. Uh, like one yeah. of the things the show is really good at is like everybody is so well cast overall. Um, you know, you got Amy Ryan, who's just like 
perfect as uh, as BD Russell in this. And then I think when you put that up against and and uh, and Chris Bauer too as Sabatka, but I think when you put I mean, that my God. when you put that up against Pablo Schreiber and James Ransone, they are a little weaker uh, as actors and maybe slightly miscast. Like I don't quite buy them Not in the just, same way as I buy almost every other character on the show. I disagree. Yeah, not just that, but their storylines don't carry on past this season. Whereas yeah. the rest I mean, but, of the characters, it kind of carries on the whole time. That's true. They are they are very much one-off characters. Um Ziggy, as opposed to he do, he do, he's the wayward son, but he doesn't carry on. You know, you expect the wayward son yeah, to carry on because yeah. that's just that's the nature of wayward sons. Yeah. And, Go uh, fuck off my wayward <laughs> son. I can't wait till this season's done. All right. So uh, we're going to then talk about uh, first and foremost, the Nikki and Ziggy storyline uh, in which Nikki is complaining about the fact that, you know, he needs money. This mm-hmm. guy is uh, fucking. He got a baby mama and a baby. I think this and... this, this episode's really about uh, women not understanding, because uh, oh, you know dude. he's he's in that chair uh, in his in his <laughs> yes. girlfriend's salon sh- chair. The first thing he says is, "Just don't make me look funny." Uh, and then they have a conversation, and she's like, "Hey, you want me to put a purple streak in your hair?" Yes. And it's like, "What?" Uh, there are so many things about this situation that you would have to misunderstand in order to think that this <laughs> okay. guy wants a purple streak yeah. in his hair. He just asked you to not make him look funny. <laughs> and you're like, okay, but do you want a purple streak? <laughs> Ashley's preschool calls. They want more money? Just what we owe them. And her teacher says Teacher. That... Ain't nothing but babysitters. Whatever. Christ, Amy, you pulling it out or cutting it? Listen, Nikki, you want to keep on like this, and I got to rethink stuff. Do what you feel. I'm telling you, as soon as I start getting more hours, the first thing I do is get my own place. You want to move in with me? Great. You don't want to? At least I did my goddamn best. You want a streak or something? Put a little purple in it. Yeah, and right after that, I'll just go ahead and stick my tongue up some guy's ass. (laughs) Yo, fellas! Fellas! (laughs) Is it gay? to get your hair dyed a little bit <laughs> like this is I, i'm i'm gonna agree once you got a purple streak in your hair especially your in tongue up maybe 2003 ass. i guess but here's yeah. uh, here's my feeling about first of all in terms of miscasting i i don't agree i i actually think they <laughs> are both perfectly cast i think um the guy who plays nikki is just for me he's so uh he just so perfectly embodies that level of like i don't know 2003 working class white guy who lives in baltimore who uh thinks it's 1997 still you know what i mean and and uh kind of i i i feel that like some of his lines sound a little bit forced like when he's talking to ziggy where he's like see that's your problem you let that thing of there that the the your little dicky dick you let it ruin your life or whatever he's saying it sounded yeah. a little you know, it's a little theater, but um, I just, there's something about just, if we're just talking about like aesthetically, I just think he looks perfect. And I, I love how aggro he is and, and how well written he is because he is literally in this conversation with his baby mama, who's desperately trying to be like, hey, uh, the longer this goes on where we're not living under the same roof, the worse it is for our child. 
And he's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Just don't make me look gay. (laughs) (laughs) That is so, it's so toxic in such a classic way that I'm like, I love this. I love this character. I think he's great. Um, Yeah, I mean, he, he seems like a piece of shit. Totally. But, but (laughs) he's a a piece of shit. Piece of shit in a television show way. Well, no, but he's a piece of shit, I think, in a way that I, um, at least the way I understand him is that he he's the exact type of working class, like, piece of shit who's just like, you know, I'm doing my best to put food on the table, and and uh, I got to hear this, my wife nag me all day. And, <laughs> and it's like, but yeah, but beyond the f- putting food on the table, and obviously you need more money, you're kind of a dick. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, oh, I'm a dick. I'm sorry that I can't be polite to my the mother of my child while I'm trying to get money. And it's like, yeah, you could do both. You, yeah, you could. You're, you're allowed to be. I feel like in, in real life pleasant. he'd be a little less articulate, and he would say "fucking" more, like "fucking." Yeah, yeah, it, yeah maybe so. But again, written by David Simon. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> David Simon <laughs> yeah. likes uh, more words better. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um. So yeah, uh, at, at one point, um, Nikki is you know he's annoyed that he's not getting any work, and uh, Nikki suggests. That they, you know, sell some sell some drugs. Some and, yeah. Uh, yeah, and Nikki drops the hard R, which um I think is I think is like one of those decisions like, that like I agree with. Drugs instead of dugs. <laughs> oh, Nikki, look. Let's pull a few dollars together. I'll get us hooked up with them. Yayo. Turn around this morning, we make more money before lunch than we can down here. I all week. Look. I ain't standing out on no corner like some fucking project nigga so I get pop for pocket change. Fuck that shit, Sig. Oh, shit. Yeah, yeah. I think he dropped oh, yeah, the, he right. dropped the R in that, that situation because he was trying to make it clear that he was not down with them. He was uh, drawing like a hard line of separation. Uh, yes, I'm not yeah. one of those people. Uh, a, 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 a red line almost. Yes. And yeah, the thin <laughs> red line. And uh, he is... Uh, which also is a hard R. I think, exactly. yeah, I think, the original I think that R. is absolutely the definition of the thin red line. Yeah. yeah. And I, uh, what I like about kind of like the scene is that this show does a good job, I think, in general of like um, pointing out like the problem with class solidarity in uh, America because we are so heavily racialized that like – you know, when people, especially like a lot of like DSA people and socialists uh, I know who want to work m- more to like kind of like universalize the class struggle. And I think that's a good thing. But some when people get into like class essentialism, where it's like it doesn't matter about race. All it is is class. Class is the whole thing. You see where the roadblocks are. It's like, OK, but if we're dealing with working class people, especially working class white people, you, you can't be like, oh, well, the race thing doesn't matter to them. Ask them, ask <laughs> yeah, them right. what they think well, about the policing. The, the policing's racialized, so of course their approach to you know doing crime is going to be racialized. Exactly. These are the these these people, and the wire is so good at this that they you know are showing that the white people who are who are selling drugs in the wire 
are saying, I've got drugs. How many drugs do you want? Give me, <laughs> you give me the drugs. I, yeah, I'll give you I, the money. Like I they're think, under I think police. It's more they, that yeah. the white people selling drugs in the wire weren't particularly represented. Well, they were in this season. They show white people uh, selling drugs, and they show the fact that like there, there's no, there's no codes. They're not trying to keep it quiet because they're not that heavily heavily policed. Because those right. are not the the exactly. areas in which they are being, um, you know, that are being targeted by you know the the narcos. So it's it's just like funny seeing uh nikki be like no 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 we can't do that that's that's a black crime thing um right but he's like yeah i'll steal i'll steal this fucking thing you know this this can of of we can literally steal a police surveillance van and taunt taunt a police colonel with uh, right. pictures Send of him it. pictures of where it is, <laughs> <laughs> which he does. Yeah. Valchek gets a picture. It's in Wilmington. And he's just like, God damn it. Fucking Frank Sabatka. <laughs> and uh, uh, it's just, it's so great. And I think what's, what's fun about, I think Nikki and Ziggy's like, I don't know, uh, characters is, is they clearly focused on different things. I, I know Nikki cares about money. I don't know if Ziggy cares about money. What what are well, your thoughts on that? Ziggy Ziggy number one doesn't have a family, and number two, uh, his dad is a union treasurer, so he right. comes from more than uh, than Nikki does. For him, it's like a a thing to, that's fun to have rather than like a, a necessity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 that's kind of the feeling I got. You know, you see ziggy in these situations like when they're selling the stolen cameras and he like takes a picture (laughs) yeah (laughs) says oh this is a kodak moment and um you know there's all these moments where you're just like ziggy stop being so fucking ziggy please Mm -hmm. and it's like well he doesn't care so much i feel like like, this ziggy moment works so much better than the boris moment like this uh, this is more believable to me like this does feel like some this feels like a an acceptably believably dumb thing that he would do yeah so then are uh, you talking about him meeting boris yes where he immediately gives him a nickname like i don't know yeah that like he would have got shot in the face. In <laughs> you figure. Because like, Boris he is thrown in the ocean. He's literally a super murderer. Yeah. <laughs> and the like fact he's, that he's just like, why is just a kid that Boris? shows up and is like, hey, I'm cool, right? And he's <laughs> like, no, I'm going to slash your throat and throw yeah, it in the ocean. Boris is the guy you call to be like, can you remove this man's hands yeah. and feet? Yeah. And he's like, okay. can you murder this person who's going to come talk to you? And you, you want and fingers just, too? Yeah, just him trying to like be like, but I don't understand Rocky and Bullwinkle. I mean, that's <laughs> yeah, that's wonderful. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Yeah. Um, so uh, in terms of what's going on with Frank Sabatka, is that uh, this this episode has just a couple of Frank Sabatka scenes, but I think they're important with regards to Nikki and Ziggy scene. Frank Sabatka, you finally see uh, him reaping the rewards of his stained glass window um in that do like you, do fun- you really not think that there's a uh, a difference in acting and casting between frank sabatka and and nikki well obviously there's okay. a difference between that's all, those two that's all i'm but, saying like it's but it's a it's noticeable there's a there's a bit of a drop off there but i okay but i i do feel like one of the things that 
season one of The Wires trained me to do is to be like, there are some actors in the show who are great. And then there are some actors who I'm like, I don't think that's an actor. I think that's just a guy. <laughs> um, and Nikki, to me, he kind of like, he's right in between where occasionally I'm like, oh, he's acting. And occasionally I I, I love it. But I, I don't know. I feel like mid at this point to me on this show doesn't matter. It's yeah. uh, All right. I, it's it's not noticeable to me. Okay. Um, but uh, so... Uh, Frank Sabatka is at a little corrupt politician's mixer <laughs> held by Father Lewandowski. And uh, he's he's uh, his, he's got a lobbyist who's there who's trying to get him in good with Clay Davis. Who uh, Clay Davis looks at him like he's trying to fuck his vagina. <laughs> you guys yeah. get that feeling? Yeah, I think that's how Clay Davis looks at everybody. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say that's... It's just That's what Clay he does. Davis's look. He's got a resting, I want to fuck you face. Senator Davis. Hey, partner. People are telling me it just might be a good year for the port. Might be. You all have been stepping up in a lot of ways. Hope it continues like that. Y'all making friends in a lot of places, right? We're friendly guys. <laughs> Clay. But I also think this is a good example of... Uh, Sabatka's trying to play this game that um, he's seen like his father and grandfather play, mm-hmm. you know, like he's got, like he's, he's walking around like his first reaction to hearing that Clay Davis has taken 40 grand of his money is like, I'm going to go fuck that guy up. Cause what yeah, the yeah. But, but like the, the lobbyist has to be there to be like, Hey, yeah, yeah. No, you, you need this guy. Like you don't have that kind of power anymore. Yeah. Like, yeah. You this have isn't, to, you have to kiss this isn't the old days. Yeah. This isn't the old days where like you had enough power to like, you know, yeah, to intimidate a state senator into yeah. maybe taking less money. You don't run the and city like you think you do. Mm-hmm. Spoiler alert. Yeah. That becomes an issue with the Barksdale family later on. You know, what's interesting about that is that, like, uh, I, I was thinking about the parallels between the Barksdales and the Sabatkas and how there's they're, they're basically just two sides of the same coin. One is just one is honestly just dealt with this 30 years earlier you know yeah. <laughs> like they one of them is in an established seat of power in baltimore right and the other is also but just not like but but not a uh, not a legitimate way. uh business yeah. but yeah no but they still like they still kind of operate in the same way well, right. And like they they are both uh, very much uh, kings of their own little castles. They both are kind of dealing with their trying to keep their family together. But they have all these th- terrible uh, progeny, you know, like yeah. and, I mean, in this case, it's his nephew, uh, Avon's nephew, D, who is just not really living up to uh, the um the Barksdale name and Ziggy is kind of like a version of that as well. Um, right. but a, a much more dumb, dumbed down version of it for sure. Um, but yeah, uh, and both of them are going to end up getting screwed by, uh, fucking Clay Davis, which, uh, Hey, she, that's life. Um, we're all going to get screwed by Clay Davis. In in one way or another, uh, this country has just been screwed by many Clay Davises. Uh, 
so just to uh, wrap up what's happening with uh, Frank and his kids, um, after they sell the cameras, um, Ziggy is celebrating in the bar. And uh, this is a scene there. I have a question for you guys. Um, we see that there's this guy named Ring who shows up to Frank's office earlier and he's telling him he's going to go to a different local. And Frank says to him, like, just go to the bar, ask Dolores for a beer and a shot. Just do that for me. And when he does that, Ziggy is there celebrating his, his big win. And he sees that uh, Dolores gives uh, Ring a stack full of money. And um, clearly this is from Frank. And this is like his way of saying, don't leave our, our local, please. Mm -hmm. um, two questions. Why does Frank not want him to leave the local? And also, why is what's what's the deal with Ziggy's look there? Like his look isn't like, I I, I don't know. It's it's cagey to me. I'm not sure what he is. He mad that his dad is giving this guy money? Is he is he looking at like oh, but that's my money? I, I see. I don't know. The way I read this, it, this felt like. So if I'm this guy, like he is clearly going to be appreciative of. Frank's generosity, but it's also kind of like when you ask your boss for a raise and they go, Oh man, I don't know why you didn't just ask me for this years ago. And you're like, right. You could have just given me the fucking raise. Like he could have just been given people these kickbacks. Um, right. And I think there's a little bit of that mixed feeling from, from, uh, from Ziggy too, probably like, Hey, you could be, you could be distributing these funds you're using on lobbyists to the union already. Right. But you know, for for Ziggy, I'm like, I don't understand why he would care other than I, part of me is not sure if Ziggy wants to be his dad. I feel like it's part of that. It's or, I think it's part of that that he he's seeing his dad's sort of uh, his power and the respect he commands in the community, and he's probably mm -hmm. having a hard time imagining how he can ever get to that just based on, uh, you know, yeah. number one, not having. I don't think he would get elected the fucking mm -hmm. treasurer of his union, but also like he's so far down the seniority ladder that uh, like he, I don't, I can't imagine that he's going to even get there ever. Like he's too yeah. far down. Like he's not. Yeah. It's just it, Ziggy's. I, I, I have trouble like pinning down exactly why he resents. I understand if he resents his dad for like, you care more about, you know, your union boys than you do me. Um, but I also feel like he shows him, he cares about him by not firing his ass. <laughs> yeah. I think it's just more that, I don't know. I mean, I'm not going to put like thoughts in Ziggy's head necessarily, but, uh, I think the whole thing that the, the reason they're having to sell cameras is because they're in a completely different situation than their parents, their father's generation was yeah. like, like Frank Sabatka, yeah just had to show up to the union hall and keep working. And eventually he's in this position of like power and respect. Whereas like Ziggy and Nikki like that, they're too far down. There's not enough work. They're too far down the seniority ladder. Like that's never going to happen for them. So they obviously have to do some shit on the side. So it's resentment of the fact that it's like, I'm being put in this position of having to like do this shit for money when my dad could just, um, if I wish my dad could appreciate how shit is worse for us than it is for him. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's also a lack of understanding of what dad probably went through. To right. Get that. Yeah. To or get does really. Spot. Yeah. Cause, cause it's like, or the role that, that he is playing for this community of people. Like, 
I don't know. It's uh, to me, it's just so. And that, I think that comes out later in this season. Yes. Yes. He's like he's not just a leadership figure. Like he's really like Frank Sabatka is doing a lot to keep that community together. He's trying. It's more than yeah. He's. It's not just like oh, I'm trying to do graft. I'm trying to get some get get that bag. It's like he's trying to preserve a way of life that is right. dying around him. Yeah, and he'll do that yeah. by any means necessary. Which you, if I was Ziggy, I would appreciate. But I think that's what like, Ziggy's. Oh, I have a big dig. But Ziggy's like, I'm doing that in my own way. But uh, that's true. You know, um, they're not so different. Hey, we're not so different, <laughs> you and I. Frank the back. Okay, so <laughs> now we're going to talk about. Uh, let's. Uh, there's a couple more uh, storylines here. We have Jimmy and his 14 girls. We have Valchek. Uh, and we have the Barksdales. What, what do you guys want to talk about? Ah, let's go. Uh, let's go Barksdales. Yeah, right. the Barksdales are always my favorite part. Of let's get in. The let's get into what's going on with the Barksdales. Um, and this episode we got a lot more Barksdale, and I, it's a lot of fun. Um, we, we got fucking rat baiting. We got some ghetto rat baiting. <laughs> Amazing. That's so much. So, uh, as we know from the previous episode, uh, there's a CEO named Tillman who's making life for Weebay hell inside of the prison. So there's this giant plan in place to try to, you know, jack him up somehow. Um, so they are pretty much just, um, they're tailing him to see like where, cause they know that Tillman also sells drugs. All the CEOs are, are dirty. They all sell drugs, um, it, you know, to the prisoners. So they want to see who they, he gets his drugs from while they're doing that. We get some wonderful stringer content mm-hmm. in this episode. Um, Stringer is in the back of a car as they're tailing Tillman, uh, and he's selling all of his telecommunication stocks. And, uh, I, I just have a, a clip of that. Yeah, right. No, I want you to drop all the cellular joints. Yeah, all of them. Nokia, Motorola. Listen, this stringer play Wall Street. Yeah. Yo, uh, string. You so down on the phone companies, man. A while back, I took a stroll through the, the pit. I saw that kid we got running things down there, uh, Poot. <laughs> now, he got the cell phone I gave him for the business right there on his hip, but the nigga got another cell phone that only ring when the pussy called. <laughs> Now, if this no-count nigga got two cell phones, how the fuck you gonna sell any more than motherfuckers? That's market saturation. Hard Unbelievable agree. logic there. I mean, that's Fucking just... hard agree. It's a perfect <laughs> business lesson, which is that your logic can be completely sound uh, yes. based on all these real-world factors, and you can still be completely wrong. fucking wrong. Yeah. So <laughs> wrong. Yeah. Like... If you're gonna, None of that makes really any sense, right? I mean, I, I it makes plenty of sense, but he's not, you know, <laughs> but but the I thing is, he's not counting on the fact that people are going to want a new cell phone every two years. Yeah, right. he's and he's not <laughs> planning uh, on kind of like the plan, the planned obsolescence of, or picture uh, or camera phones. phones. There's like ten factors that he's not taken into account here. right yeah yeah just the the technology getting better but also but it was most... also the early 2000s yeah right. no one no one could see any of this coming no again but more sound reasoning but he's but he missed except drug dealers who were very much up on their business they, they were the have... first cell phone yeah, people let's be real but uh the one thing that i think he uh really fucked up on is uh thinking that poot is a stand-in for the normal American consumer is just 
Why are you basing this on Poot? Poot is <laughs> that, not the yeah, guy. That is his if, social circle, though. If the, yeah, that is his, his anecdotal evidence. He's like, well, who's in a, a slight position of power over at the, you know, at the pit? Oh, Poot? Huh? He only has two cell. He has two cell phones. There's no way he's buying another one. Uh, let's let's uh, make giant financial decisions based on one very <laughs> horny man. Um, not, yeah, not it as, is. It is weird that a show that is about drug dealers who make very sound decisions yeah. to avoid the cops are also like Poot's only got two cell phones. What else do we need? Well, it's actually it, like upon rewatch of the show, one of the things I like about it is kind of like re. I don't know, uh, contextualizing Stringer. Uh, like when you first watch the show, Stringer is like, oh, damn, that guy's good at business. And like Avon's good at like the streets. And then um, I, I didn't really notice. I think now like watching the show, I'm like, no, it, Stringer like thinks he's smarter than he is. No, he's a perfect mini- middle manager. I said this before. He's yeah. very much like the main character in Night of the Living Dead where uh you know people people follow him because he projects that air of confidence and authority but he's also completely wrong right right exactly but he feels right and yeah Yeah. he sounds right and that is how yeah that is how middle managed that's how middle managers make their bones is like they sound like they know what they're talking about whether they actually do or not sort of irrelevant (laughs) <laughs> right, exactly, because they're still, you know, at the end of the day, they're on the payroll, so, you know, they're they're gonna get their money. Um, but so yeah, uh, Stringer is a he's a big old dumb idiot, and uh, one of the more idiotic things he does in this episode is he decides to um, start up an affair with Donette, mm-hmm. who is uh, named D's... after a hostess treat, obviously. Of course, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> fucking love a donut. Oh, it's delicious. Um, uh, by the way, just going back to the theme of uh, women being completely uh, wrong mm-hmm. in this episode. Uh, how does she think that D and Stringer Bell are the same shirt size? Like, do you oh, not have on. eyeballs? Yeah. Yeah. That's come crazy. On. That's not what that is. She, she knows. She knows that they're not the <laughs> yeah. same size. She was they, trying to get Stringer to take that. Mm, pump the, that shirt. They yeah, are both. That's fair enough on missions in that scene where like <laughs> it's very clear that Donette is like I need to fuck string because of course and string is just like oh I will dickmatize you like he's so he <laughs> yeah, is he is but he's also like oh, come on I do this all the time like yeah, yeah. well yeah. I don't know though because like I was thinking about the fact that you don't uh you don't really see stringer in at least in the first season with any girl and so yeah, but he's got that bo- energy that you know he's got some. yeah you just oh, well, assume yes. no, stringer is fucking yes yeah. you assume of course of course i I'm assume not... idris elba is fucking <laughs> yeah just like I, a human su- chocolate bar yeah he's yeah just, idris elba is just fucking every day he right? honestly he has like the energy isn't about like big or small dick it's about like ethereal dick energy yeah it's like, about using that dick it's like i yeah. feel like i uh i'm in his dick like his his dick has the density of fog yeah. so it's like very big but it it's more that it's like i'm in it yeah it would fall off if he doesn't use it yes yeah. yeah he's got a great dick and, and uh no it's i'm shiny. i'm not I'm not saying that he's uh, asexual, but what I'm saying is because in the decision to show him doing this very stupid decision of like fucking with, you know, Avon's nephew's baby mama, um, 
he uh i think it's a calculated decision i think he's doing it he's trying to dictatize her you are getting very sleepy and get her to like do what he says and what he says is you need to visit your fucking uh your baby daddy you need to visit d in prison uh or else he might start talking basically yeah, yeah. so it seemed like he's doing sexual manipulation which oh, yeah. uh and it's know. working i think it's i think it was very great. much i think he did a great job there yeah he he knew shout she, out yeah she knew though that the the fucking she knew the shirt wasn't his size she was hoping one of two <laughs> things would happen one he takes off his shirt tries it on and goes like it's too small and then she probably had a line like i bet something else is big um <laughs> uh or she was hoping what would happen would happen in which basically she was waiting for a moment for a really good sexual double entendre and she got it tags still on it Tia bought it before he got stopped in Jersey never been worn you know it's a shame to let things go to waste I'm an XO no doubt she got it she I'm got an it. XL we all got it no doubt um Ooh. okay so uh meanwhile what's happening is that uh tillman is being tailed we find out that he's been getting his drugs from blind butchie this is the first time we see blind butchie in the show he's a great character and he is introduced when they are every blind person watching that was probably like i feel so seen right now which is oh, wow ironic wow you know? there was a Vince. lot going on in that joke <laughs> come on <laughs> there was so much going on what are you doing we got blind people watching you got them talking about feeling seen there's Oh, God dude. damn it. It's just too good. <laughs> it's um, crazy. I feel like Matt, a sub-theme sub of this whole sequence is that uh, rat breeds of dogs, fucking assholes. Like, you can never, oh, yeah. never never, buy like a, a ratter. Like They're so food motivated. You can't trust them for anything. I mean, they will literally just wait and stalk a rat until it decides to come out of its hole, which, you know, God bless them, because mm -hmm. uh, someone's got to get rid of those rats. I wish my cat would do that. Yeah. We don't have rats. We have like little crickets. But oh, yeah. I feel like most cats catch little Yeah, bugs. she should be catching those. She doesn't. She just goes, and yeah. I'm like, fuck you. Yeah. Anyways. Cracker. Uh, I love my cat. It's a tuxedo cat. They don't like to get their little hands dirty in that way. She's too. She's too white collar. That's true. She's she, she's too, she's too white collar. She's just she's like oh well, I never her monocle falls off every time a bug is enters. She, is she white collar or white parlor? She's oh another good one, but only yeah, two. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm just gonna take off. Uh, I, think. Okay. I think I'm done. Uh. So what are when we see Tillman and Butchie, they are betting on whether or not uh, the dog gonna eat the rat. Mm -hmm. I love a really stupid bet. So yeah. that was I Great. was having a lot of fun. A plus. Um. Very very good stuff. Um. And then of course uh, Avon or Stringer's team of uh you know bad guys goes up to butchie and they basically tell him stringer says hey as a favor to avon uh we're gonna need you to do a little thing um and we don't know what the thing is at this point in the episode well um, i think well i don't know the way i read this whole sequence is uh like butchie thought the barksdale crew is going to use their muscle to like basically force him to stop selling to this guy, but they, but he knows that they don't have, they, they all know that they don't have that kind of muscle anymore. And so mm -hmm. instead Avon uses his guile because what he still has is connections. He knows who's cutting the package 
inside the prison and he can get to that guy. So he doesn't really need muscle in that way. Oh, is that where it's? Uh, yeah. He doesn't I, I have th- he doesn't have to use muscle to lean on Tillman. He can just See, fuck with his package and get him caught. I think he fucked with the package though beforehand. He didn't. You think he fucked with the package? It was the guy in the prison who fucked with the package. That's the way I has, read it. No, because he asked if D is up, and the guy was like, uh, "D is not up," and he's like, "Okay." Um, I I read that as like him being willing to sell. Here's how I read hmm. it. I read it as like, "Hey, um, you know, when he's talking, when Stringer's talking to Butchie, he's saying like." We will make this up to you because clearly after whatever happens here, um, Tillman will not be able to buy drugs from you anymore. Oh. So we'll make this up to you. But yeah. Okay. And, so and you think Butchie fucked with it. The... All right. Well, yes, that, that yes. makes sense too. Yeah. Yeah. So Butchie, um, or Butchie allows but Butchie them. Butchie has that line where he's like, they don't have any flex. I think he, he is somehow discounting See, their, the amount of control that they have still. I, I wasn't sure about what that line meant. I, it was either flex, as in the way you're you're saying, or if he meant flexibility. Like, man, mm. th- there's no flexibility yeah. with them. It's either I read it as like they don't have the muscle that they once did. All their soldiers are like in prison. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, no, it could be, could be. Um, but uh, anyways, uh, we get then Avon talking to D'Angelo finally for the you know a, a long conversation in which Avon basically tells him. Hey, uh, you look like you're on drugs. Mm-hmm. And I have a little clippy clip. You look dusty lately. So what? So what? What, you my mom up in here now? That's the weak man's role you're taking. I ain't never seen you as weak. Look, I'm just, you know, ain't now and again. That's it. It's all I got to get my head up out of this shithole. I mean, because if that's all it is, you should be able to give it a rest for a few days. Because it ain't no thing, right? I'm asking you, man, out of love. It's always love, D. It's not always love, though. No. Um, I think no. it's, I think this is interesting because both Avon and Stringer are they're doing what got them into the position that they're in, which is like take fairly substantial risks. Like Stringer's taking a risk that him fucking uh, D's baby mama is not going to go badly because he sees mm-hmm. the obvious upside, which is that, like you said, he can dickmatize her into doing what he wants. Uh, same thing with Avon. He kind of, he's taking a big risk that he's not going to, uh, accidentally kill his cousin with this hot shot. Yeah. Pretty big risk, dude. <laughs> like that, it, that, that really it was like for well. me, it was like, oof. Yeah. it did work out. It did work out. But, um, fuck if that was ever some, I think I, if I were in this position, sure, 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 sure. I would be like, Hey, by the way, uh, there's gonna be poison in the drugs. <laughs> Please don't. And who among us has not been in this position? Oh, we've all been there. Mm-hmm. All right, we've yeah. all been in a position where we run the projects of West Baltimore. But I'm just saying that, you know, in my in my opinion, you took a risk there. You could have uh, easily killed your nephew. So I don't know if it's all love. And the question, of course, is is you know, in general, is like, does he actually care? about whether or not D is using drugs, would he have cared if not for this plan? He'd have been a little and, sad, but it wouldn't have uh, ruined his life. Right. Yeah. I don't think in in like totally I don't think he would have at that point asked him to stop using drugs for a little bit um if there hadn't been a big, you know, hotshot poisoning about to happen. And that's what happens and uh a bunch of people fall out 
aka OD on the uh, on the drugs that were smuggled in and uh yeah so that's that storyline um Jimmy and the 14 dead girls let's talk about this storyline um this is a great one I love Jimmy McNulty um when he's really doing his detective thing uh but this time not out of spite this time out of like trying to prove how smart he is right yeah yeah oh, it's a little bit of both it's always a little yeah, bit but of it's both. Uh, trying to prove how smart he is that's always you know that's usually the root of it but yeah that's that's the root but like there's pettiness is, is sometimes you know a branch there and just you know spite and i revenge. love i love like the embryonic uh you can see the wheels turn in in bd's head like you can tell yeah. you can tell they're gonna fuck and there's a yes. the scene where He's he's talking about how he doesn't want these uh, prostitutes to end up, uh, you know, in a as in medic- a mass grave in a, in a mass grave, which is maybe true in some way. Like I don't I don't necessarily think he's romantic like that. Like when she says, "Oh, oh how romantic!" Like she's like, well, to her, she's like she's clearly like thinks that he cares about these girls in that sort of old fashioned. Uh, romantic yeah. cop kind of way and he maybe sort of does but it's mostly it's mostly he's just spitballing because he's trying to prove how smart he is yeah it's 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 a bit of it's a bit of that it's also a bit of like my feelings about it are in this you know storyline we see a little bit of jimmy mcnulty's home life in which he is taking his kids back over to his uh ex-wife's house and his ex-wife wants uh him to sign some separation papers it's always the cheaters that are trying to get back with the with of the course ex. yeah ironically of, yeah, yeah. mcnulty is arguably the best piece of shit yeah in television history yeah like he's clearly a bad guy yeah he's the fuckiest boy s- you don't see that much of it no, it's just it, implied. It's like, implied. Yes, it, it's exactly. It's implied. You you don't. You well, don't he's still see, lovable in that way that fuck bo- right. for the reasons that fuck boys get fucked in the first place. That's what makes them fucky. Is yeah. is that is that they you know they're That's why charming. This fuck boy you, got married. Yeah, they don't. You don't become Matt, a fuck boy being unlikable. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. Some fuck boys <laughs> get married, have a baby. <laughs> um, but yeah, so yeah, I see it as like. He is at this point where um, he is figuring out he's trying to do the detective work around these 14 dead girls. He is like he's talking to Dr. Frazier, who's the medical examiner, who, by the way, might be the only like he might actually be the best detective on the show. And he's not even a detective. Yeah. Um, And he's telling him, like, these girls all came from Hungary. They bought their tits there, at least. Um and he's showing up to uh to his old you know homicide unit downtown to tell them his theory um about what had happened and they end up telling him word for word what he is about to <laughs> what he's about to tell them and uh i i have a a little bit of a clip of that McNulty has a theory does he now you deductive motherfucker you so he's going to wander in here with some Johnny-come-lately bullshit about how these girls all coming over here as prostitutes. Then he's going to go past that. I say something about that one in the water being tossed off the ship after she's already dead from a beatdown. Fuck a fight with all them sailor boys. And she fought. But the other girls saw. So now the other girls, they get told to get back in that can. And our man, 
To cover this shit up, he gets up on top, bangs down the air pipe. Anything else you want to tell us? When did you guys get there? <laughs> to me, the him asking when did you guys get there is him holding out a little hope that maybe he, but yeah, but I knew it first. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> very much. Yeah. Because he's like, okay, clearly you guys also figured it out, but who got there first? And, uh, and yeah, it's like for him at that moment, like, because right after that, he tells Beatty, like, how he doesn't want to have them in a mass grave situation. Um, I, I'm i thinking that at that moment, you know, when he decides I'm going to, like, get the name of this girl, it's like, he feels he is metaphorically doomed many a single woman to a mass grave of sorts. <laughs> uh, and he's never known any of their names. And he is feeling like, you know, maybe my wife giving me the separation agreement. My wife giving me a separation agreement is like, this is my punishment. I'm reaping what I've sown here. So what if for once I find out one of these girls' names? What if I I actually (laughs) get their first name? He's never got, he's never asked for a first name for any of the girls he's been with. So to me, this is almost like metaphorically his way of being like, I'm sorry, all women. I will, I will, mm-hmm. he's like trying to literally be a Captain Zavaho here. And I, yeah. uh, I respect that in a way. Yeah, and Captain, cause he's actually on a boat. He's actually on a boat. He's a literal captain. Ugh. I think the idea of a Captain Zavaho has come around in yeah. 2023. Like We've in, decided. The, in the 90s, the, the, like the idea was, it was a negative thing. But right. I can't imagine it's. Not a positive now. At this point, I think like we have decided as a culture that like some hoes need to be saved, and some we hoes have turned around when mm-hmm. it comes to hoes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for, for shows, uh, <laughs> and, <laughs> and uh, you know, McNulty is he's trying to he's trying to you know. He's trying to do penance. He's ahead of the curve. He's ahead of the curve. And uh, he's doing he's doing feminism. Hashtag male feminist. Hashtag what's the name of this dead girl? I so, think The Wire at the end of the day is a feminist show above everything Absolutely. Else. First and foremost. <laughs> uh, and Jimmy is the ultimate male feminist in that he's mostly doing this so he can probably I th- fuck Beatty. <laughs> I think yeah, so I he think can fuck so. And I think that's the end of this podcast series. I think yeah. yeah. You both nailed it. We we're done. Yeah, yeah I think Walk that's off. it. Nolte is a huge feminist. He's a huge feminist and he does feminism to fuck, which is <laughs> what we all do. It's the end um, of this podcast. McNulty is a feminist. That's the name of this show. That's the name of the show. Um and yeah, so the his storyline kind of just ends with him um, you know, uh, figuring out that he's decided he wants to name, find a name for the dead girl. Um, meanwhile, um, Bunk and Freeman, uh, open their scene with <laughs> kind of, I mean, one of the things of the show that I thought was really funny is how, um, just cause they're two black policemen, Bunk and Freeman doesn't mean they also can't be racist cops. Um, I mean, all and, cops are sort of racist. Yo, 100%. And uh, I love the, I think my favorite uh, scene in this is them interviewing all the people and just yelling at them to speak English. Uh, <laughs> there's there's one yeah. moment in particular, like afterwards, 
um, after they do this whole scene where they're just doing fake words like mishy, mishy, gushy, gushy, motherfucker. Um, at one point, um, Bunk sees like one of the Asian guys that they were interrogating and just does just a little bit of extra, just an extra bit of racism. Uh, and I have a clip of that. The unwritten rule is that what happens below decks stays below decks. Mm. Okay, okay, hot. <laughs> just, just to cap it off with a little more. Yes. Oh, oh, it's fun. Um, yeah. So that's that storyline. And uh, finally, um, just to get into what happens with Valchek, we mentioned before, but uh, Valchek's crew is filled with humps. And in this episode, he finally reveals, I think, um, the cards he's holding with regards to Burrell. You probably still got enough votes, but I can make it uglier than you want it. What do you want, Stan? I want a real detail with real police and a real unit commander. Fine. Done. Give me that black lieutenant that did Barksdale. No, no, Daniel's put in his papers. He's gone. Out the door. Didn't meet the pension board yet? Look, I'll do what I can. Don't fuck with me, Irv. I got as many friends here in the hall as you do. And with what I'm learning about the Barksdale case, I got all kind of shit I can throw. Yeah. <laughs> He's just going to be, I'm going to throw a big old fucking hissy fit, and it's going to be real embarrassing for everybody. Yeah. That's what he's saying, yeah, basically. That is what he's saying. He doesn't actually have any extra leverage. He's just like, yeah, I can, I can make a big fucking tantrum over here. It's going to be yeah, 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 real yeah. embarrassing. Yeah, you still got the votes. You still got the votes. But you know what I can do? I can be a little bitch about it. All right? I'll <laughs> yeah. just go in there and be like, this fucking guy fucking sent me humps. And then when people ask the question, what are humps? I'll be like, uh, fucking, you know, drunks, uh, bad cops. And then, and then when they ask me to explain more, I'm going to say, uh, well, there's this asshole, Frank Tabaka, and he stole my van, and I don't know where it is. So uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be mad about it. Anyways, no one stopped me from doing the bit. Please, let it's, me go on as long as possible, and I'll just... I like it when you the, do. You do I'm a great struggling here. Yeah. Yes, and me, for fuck's sake. It's the best part of the wire that no one gives a shit about. What is all of that? Like everything you just did. Petty like Polish beefs. Yeah. That's that's oh, the yes. whole thing about season two. Like mm. it's still cool and it's still interesting and it's still good. But but it's but it's about Polish beef. Yeah, but like <laughs> I'm not tuning into the wire to hear Polish people's problems. I am. I love. I'm down I love with. It. I'm down with PPP. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> get that PPP loan. That's a Polish people's problems loan. <laughs> um, and yeah, and in that scene, we find out that uh, although Daniels um, is going to put in his papers, he hasn't yet. I the one thing about the Daniel storyline is like he is going to go be a lawyer because he's tired of working in the evidence room, like. Bro, you're going to be doing shit way more boring than working in the evidence room as a lawyer. Have fun with that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I can't imagine a worse fate than being like, I'm going to leave this job where it's a union job and I get paid to chill. Yeah. Than, yeah. And leaving that to do lawyering. Yeah. The worst job He says he's going to be a lawyer. Like, I could see him more being, like, the, the fucking Michael Clayton of a law firm where he's doing, like, investigation and being sort of a fixer because he knows the streets and he can do mm -hmm. uh, investigation. 
I don't know. I, I can't imagine him not being bored out of his fucking mind being an actual lawyer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, he would hate it. The only reason that he is going to try to be a lawyer is because he's being pressured by Marla, his wife, to like do something to advance his career. Because Marla is about is about career shit, and Daniel's like he'll do that, but he's he also likes being a a cop, which yeah. uh, I don't know if that's a good thing, <laughs> but no, it's a thing. I I would argue it's not. I'd argue like, it's a wanting worse thing. to be a cop that. Yeah, especially wanting to be uh, a Baltimore cop because Jesus. Yeah, if you want to be a cop as a child, it's because you have a grudge against the other kids who grew up. Yeah, <laughs> you, w- growing up wanting to be, that's literally Valchek's whole character, by the way. Yeah. It's the yeah. kid who grew up going, I'm going to be a cop someday, and then you're all going to get arrested. Yep. Absolutely. When I'm, when I'm king, you'll be first against the wall. Oh, yeah, exactly. You're not king, exactly. motherfucker. You're just a cop. Yeah. Yeah. Radiohead reference, though, a little bit. That sure was. Yeah, dude. We like Radiohead. Me and Adam. Guess who doesn't? This fucking Vince Mancini piece. Fuck you, shit. Vince. Hey. <laughs> That's, uh, I'll yeah. show you when I'm a cop. Frank the back. Uh, damn it. I wish Al Brown was still alive. He would have been a great guest. Um, anything that I missed? Anything? Uh, or, uh, yeah. Well, favorite scene, least favorite scene, something, you know, let's wrap I this up. 45 to 50 minutes of notes. <laughs> okay. okay. All right. So that's everything then. Uh, <laughs> no, I, if I had to grade Matt, this, I think oh, you did great. Thank you. Thank you. This, I, you know, uh, this is a great. Oh, this is a, I, one thing I wanted to mention. Oh, good. Briefly, no. briefly. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. The one thing that like I missed on the original watch is that the Greeks also know about Ziggy's big dick because they're like, oh, you know, the stupid cousin with the puts the putzo or whatever the fuck. Oh, like the Greeks, shit. like everybody knows about Ziggy's dick. That's how often that Ziggy takes his dick out. Is that even the random out. Greek All people the... know about but it? But wouldn't you? Of course, if you had. Um, of course, rings true. A giant hog. You would yeah. just lay it on the bar every chance you of got. Of course, that's what he's doing. I, I totally. I, if I had a huge dick, it would be out right now. Yeah. On oh this. yeah. They no, say like, oh, true. you know, the cousin with the putzo or whatever he said. Yeah. Yeah. No, the guy with the big dick, like this yeah. one. You yeah, the stupid yeah. one with the big dick. His yeah. idiot cousin with that fucking. Here, let me move my camera down. Hey. <laughs> it, it's got to be nice to know, be known as like stupid but hung. Yeah. You could yeah. you could stake your whole ego on that kind of shit. Mm-hmm. You know. Um. So yeah, even the Greeks know he has a big dick. Good point. We did miss that. That is a very important point. If I had to give this episode a letter grade, I think I would give it a solid B plus. Vince, what would you give this episode? I'd give it a B plus for big old boner. Ooh, Ooh, fun. Adam Todd Brown, if you had to give this episode a letter grade, what would you give it? I think in my experience listening to this podcast, I would mm-hmm. give it a B plus. Fair. Mm, smart. Fair, fair, fair. Yeah. It's a yeah. B plus episode of The Wire. And an A plus episode of Pod Yourself The Wire. Adam Todd Brown, thank you so much for coming on the show. Where can people find you? Hey, thank you both for having me on. Uh thank you, Matt, for having been on lots of my podcasts before. Hell yeah. Thank you, Vince, for being on lots of my podcasts in the future. Yes, you're yeah. welcome. Um, you can find me at uh, the Unpops Network. 
Mm. We we do. I, I host a podcast called Unpopular Opinion. I host a podcast called Pretty Scary. I, I host a lot of podcasts. Just at Unpops, you'll find me. Find Wires. him at Unpops everywhere you get your podcast. Adam Todd Brown, thank you so much. Wire thank you for having me. I sincerely appreciate it. Of course. Patreon.com slash broadcast for all of the bonus episodes. The $8, I don't know why, I put in a piece of gum at the wrong time. <laughs> <laughs> the $8 tier gets you a shout out, Vince. We have one, two, three, four, five new shout outs this week. Are you ready? Ooh, I think so. Okay, the Ooh. first one is Wes Boland. Hey, Wes Boland. More like Wes Borland. We call him this guy, Limp because he's very good. Always very good. Getting down with the sickness. Wait, that's not their song. <laughs> then uh, is, next we got Michael Foster. Mm, we call this guy Drumstick because he's uh, Foster Farms Chicken. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. I got there. Um, uh, very good. Uh, next, we have David Doctor. Oh, Doctor D. That's an easy one. I mean, challenge me. Come on. I mean, you know, up the ante. I, what do you mean? You could just call him Doctor D. Yeah, why not? I mean, that's good. All right. Well, I, okay. I don't mean to shit on it. It was good. That was a good name. I wouldn't have come up with anything better. Doctor D, the Dick Doctor. We're having fun. Next is Champ Rosado. Mmm. Yeah, we call we call this guy Queen because he he are the champion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Very good. I, I love that. <laughs> he are the champion. And finally, we have Rupee S. Rupee. Uh, wow. I hardly know. P- no. Um. That. We call this guy Currency because he sounds like a unit of currency. He like does. Like a rapper? Mm, well, like, I didn't even look. Mm, we can have guys with the same names. Rupe, Rupe <laughs> Fiasco. There we go. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. I like both Currency's good, too. All right. Those are our Rupe $8. Fiasco is pretty, I mean, hard to beat that. Okay. So we're going with it. Rupe Fiasco. Thank you all so much. Uh, once again, that's patreon.com slash broadcast. The $8 tier gets you a shout out and a street name. Um, and yeah, uh, once again, if uh, it's been a long, long time, you haven't heard your name, please email us broadcast at gmail.com. That's broadcast at gmail.com for all your questions, comments, and concerns. Vince, what is the Google voice number? 415-275-0030. All right, everybody. Thanks again so much for listening. And until next time, if you come at the king, you best not miss. Yeah, come. <laughs> take that thing, prison guard, tell me, take that thing. Nicky's a bucket, take that string. While he's in prison, stigmatized on the top. The wire to agree. Val checks crime muted as hunts, losers, and drugs. Plus his son-in-law, Presbaluski. Now Bunk interrogates foreigners who don't speak English. Calls up like a kooty kid that Cornegy. Doesn't want to sell drugs, yet he steals some cameras. Gonna make a thousand bucks and then make melty. Tells Bunk and Freeman and B.D. Russell about his little theory. Your sexy lady. 
ladies on the can with us They are sex workers from the Eastern Bloc And the crew that's on the deck with them Wants to get next to them, pay for sex with them But one of the girls wanna quit the game And the boys became enraged with shame Kill that girl, then throw her off But the sex workers, they saw it all The sex workers were witnesses The crew hammers their air hole off Smash that hole on the can I kinda say that thing to your friends with guilty laugh at him, John he come lightly. They tell him his own theory almost word for word. Eat that rat, little doggy doggy, don't do drugs. Avon tells his nephew, eat that butt. Nikki doesn't want purple hair hair. Yo, what a bitch, my name is LA Matt. I say flap a flap in the answer that gets. I eat the butt, then I take a shit, and I eat the butt, then I put it in. My name is Sean Paul doing the dang, and I'm dancing flame, and the guys are gay. I changed and um i'm not i'm not gonna get in trouble for although it would be a funny thing to get in trouble for the wire all right at parker our purpose is simple we want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently by using more sustainable practices by developing better technologies we keep moving forward with each new idea innovation and partnership we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.